0: ta <laughs>
1: Thank you very much, Amy. Really appreciate your beautiful voice and sharing it with us this morning. Tell you what, uh, Vance can sing, Doyle can sing, Amy can sing. That's the trio. There's no more brothers or sisters, right? That's it. Why didn't y'all form the Cowart Trio? You could have traveled around. I would have paid tickets to hear you you three sing. Absolutely. You, Doyle, Jr., and Amy? That, that's, what? Oh, children! yes, uh, Children's Church. I'm so sorry. Matt Trahan is going to be uh, leading our Children's Church. Do we have any little kiddos? We've got Gage. Josiah, you want to go back with there so they have another kid besides just Gage? <laughs> Usually he, wants to, he doesn't want us to sit here and listen to Dad preach. So he listens to pre- Dad preach seven days a week. Bible or something that opens the Bible, please open it up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Just going to be looking at one verse today, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2. There was a country song a few years back and the chorus went something like this. One step forward and two steps back, nobody gets too far like that. One step forward and two steps back, this kind of dance can never last. Anybody remember that song? Anybody? Yeah. Now, I'm not a big fan of country or Western music. I don't really listen to it, uh, and I'm not going to put it down or anything like that. But that chorus, when I was a teenager, that chorus would get in my head. I'd either hear it on somebody else's car radio, or it would be, I think it was used in a commercial perhaps even, I'm not sure. But anyway, that song, would just stick in my head, the chorus, one step forward and two steps back. And I think the reason is, is because that song, for me anyway, testifies my walk with Jesus Christ. You know, some days I feel like I would take a step forward, and some days I feel like I would take two gigantic steps back. When I make sinful choices, when I choose the wrong path, I wonder if I'm the only one that feels that way this morning. Some days you feel like you take a step forward, and some days you feel like you take two steps back. I want to encourage you to not let your sinful choices and the discouragement that accompanies that sin keep you from your relationship And growing in your relationship with God but understand that God is calling us each and every one of you to get up to confess and move forward in the hard work of your spiritual work nobody's hanging on to your past like you are God isn't God is saying confess your sins and I'll forgive you and we can move on guys last week I told you that our salvation And then our ensuing spiritual growth requires 100% of God and 100% of us. I told you we would talk more about that this week. Now, when I say 100% of God, I want to make sure we all understand what I'm saying. Did God give His Son? Absolutely. Did His Son give all His life for our salvation? Absolutely. So that's what I mean. It takes 100% of God. He gave all so that we could be saved. And when I say it takes 100% of us, what I believe about salvation is we must surrender. We must submit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. I can't have him save half of me and the other half stay in the world. I'm either saved or I'm lost. It takes 100% of us. And then our ensuing spiritual growth is the same way. Now, there are some theologies that will teach you that God does it all. All you need to do is just sit back, be passive, be quiet, and let God take a hold of you. Uh, Sometimes you hear it like this, let go and let God. And I've said that myself, but I always try to put it in context to mean by letting go, you are submitting unto God's leadership in your life. But I I would never preach something of the nature that says, you just sit there and let God do all the work. That's not the way it is. Then there are other theologies that teach the complete opposite. And the complete opposite is this. You've got to do it all. It's all on you. God doesn't really do anything except save you, and then your spiritual growth is up to your devotion and up to your discipline. I believe there's a middle ground there. God calls us to salvation. It is God that opens my spiritual eyes to salvation. It is God that even gives me the the ability to have saving faith. But I must repent, and I must call on the name of the Lord, and I must surrender to Him as Savior and Lord. Then in my spiritual growth, it is God who provides the Holy Spirit to indwell me, to live within me, to sanctify, that is to set me apart and to grow me spiritually. He reminds us, He encourages us, He convicts us, He gives us a kick in the pants sometimes. Yet I am able to quench the Holy Spirit by my actions, by my sinful choices, or I'm able to be more filled by the Holy Spirit when I submit myself to Him. And so, again, our justification, our sanctification, our salvation, and our spiritual growth is a work of both God and us. Now, I wouldn't say that God and we, God and us, God and I, are Working together as if in some sort of partnership. I have way too much reverence for God to say that somehow he is helping me or I am helping him. That's not what I mean. It is not that God is lending me a hand or lending us a hand. And God and we certainly are not lending God a hand. He, he, is, he is not weak that he needs our help for anyth- anything. But essentially the word that scripture uses is obedience, submissive. Obedience, working in cooperation with his leadership. And we will get to that word, submissive obedience, in just a moment. And so this brings us to our scripture Philippians chapter 2, just one verse this morning, verse 12. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's just pause for a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your spirit being in this place. Father, I pray that you would get me out of the way completely. And Lord, we we submit to you in prayer because we recognize it is not the words that I speak. It is your spirit that moves in us. So, Father, we pray that you would grow us, that you would change each and every one of us from the inside out, and let us not leave this place the same way that we walked in. And it is in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, the book of Philippians is one of the most encouraging books of the Bible, written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the beginning of this verse is is one of those reasons it's one of those most encouraging books of the Bible. It begins with a word of edification, of building them up. He is applauding their obedience. He says, as you have always obeyed. Remember that this isn't just a letter from Paul expressing his sentiment for the Philippians. This is a Holy Spirit-inspired word from God. And so the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to say, I applaud you, your obedience. Man, look at your willingness to obey the Lord. I wonder if God inspired someone to write a book of the Bible to the people of Comanil, would it say something like as you have always obeyed something to ponder but with this word of encouragement from Paul comes also a word of exhortation he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling and so from this single verse i want to expound to you just two points two points and it's 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 this the the exhorting that Paul is giving the people of Philippi, and present day readers today, is what we are to do and how we are to do it. The what we are to do is to work out our salvation, and the how to do it is the fear and trembling before the Lord. So work out our salvation. What does it mean when Paul says to work out our salvation? And very quickly, I want to point out that this does not say to work for your salvation, work up to your salvation or work towards your salvation. The Greek language does not say this or indicate some sort of working for a salvation. Paul has not shifted his theology from a grace-based, theology, uh, grace-based salvation suddenly to a works-based salvation. That's not what this is teaching whatsoever. The present tense imperative state of this verb, work out, gives the emphasis that this is a continual action that is to continue and continue until there is no longer a need to work out your salvation. This verse is focused instead on the process of sanctification. sanctification. hopefully you'll remember a few weeks ago we talked about how our salvation really can be broken down into three processes justification. that is the, the absolute forgiveness of our sins the moment we forgive or receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord that we are justified. Then there is sanctification. This process of being set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Remember, it is God who will carry us on to completion. It is God that will carry us on until the day of Jesus Christ. That is that process of sanctification. The third one is glorification, which is when we receive our salvation in full when we come into heaven. But this is talking about sanctification. The process where we are set apart, where we are to look more like Jesus and less like the lost world. So what does it mean to work out your salvation in this process of sanctification? I want to give you two applications. The first one is this. I I want you to think of terms of working out to gain some sort of ability. For instance, physical strength. And that's not just limited to physical strength, but, but thinking about physical strength. When we work out, we do so so that the next time we work out, we're a little bit stronger. And the next time we work out, we're a little bit stronger, and so on and so forth. Uh, When marathon runners prepare to run a marathon, they don't just wake up the day of the marathon, they go out and run 26 miles. No, they they work themselves up to it. They work their physical stamina up. They work their cardiovascular stamina up. They start running 5 miles and 7 miles and 10 miles and 13 miles, and they work up to that ability to run 26 miles? Uh, Or how about a pianist? We all admire Thelma and Jules' ability to play these instruments. Did either one of you wake up this morning never having played that instrument before and walk in here and say, all right, I think we'll play this hymn? No, it's through years of practice, through years of preparation. You studied, you had somebody probably teach you, Uh, maybe you taught yourself, but you have practiced and perfected your ability through the years. And it's not just limited to that. Think about professions. How about a teacher? We have wonderful teachers in this church. I know one in particular real closely. Teachers don't just wake up one day and say, I think I'll go to the school and get a job to teach. No, they discipline themselves through getting an education and learning what they have to learn through the college process. They get their certification. Then they begin teaching. And then they don't just sit there. They go through continuing education and where they uh, continue to develop their skill and their ability. And we've all probably noticed the difference between a teacher who cares and tries to become better and a teacher who just kind of sits there and says, all right, y'all get in here and we're going to read from the book today. Right? Not that there's anything wrong with reading from the book, but we know the difference between someone who cares about what they're doing and someone who just says, well, I'll just figure it out. And so it's not just teaching, it's not just physically working out, it's not just playing an instrument. But really every, every aspect of life requires hard work, requires discipline, requires dedication. Why would we think that our spiritual growth would be any different? That it wouldn't require working out, that it wouldn't require discipline, that it wouldn't require devotion. When we work out our salvation, it is a matter of getting ourselves spiritually fit through spiritual discipline. The work we must do are those things that work out our spiritual muscles, if you will, and develop them. Because just like exercise, we must develop ourselves and become stronger and stronger. Last week I challenged us to spend, if you don't spend any time in prayer right now, that you would begin spending just 15 minutes a day in prayer. The reason I did that is because if I told you, go home and spend three hours in prayer, you would all get worn out and you'd never pray again. Kind of like if we go work out for three hours. You just start with 15 minutes. Just start with just a little bit. Just a little bit. And work up. It's a spiritual discipline. Nurses, cattlemen, farmers, cooks, all other professions and aspects of life require work and devotion. Why would our spiritual growth be any different but I want to give you another thought about this phrase, working out our salvation. And it comes from its use in ancient Greek literature where it was used to describe the work that miners do in a mine, where they are searching and working and doing the labor required to bring out of the mine the precious materials and metals that are buried within. And what's something else we call that which is buried within a mine? Treasure. Buried treasure. Treasure. And so to work out our salvation could literally be seen as mining out, digging out the treasure that is in you. Listen, my family, my dad's side of the family is a long line of miners up in the mountains of Colorado. In fact, it's said that we perhaps have, still have some gold claims up in Colorado. My dad said uh, that he had family that mined everything up in Colorado. Gold, coal, even uranium up in the mountains of Colorado. And I've got a lot of great uncles, family members that have died through the years because they spent so much time down in those mines digging out what was valuable, the precious material, that treasure. Mining out the salvation that God has placed in us requires some work. (coughs) God has placed within us a treasure of vast work. And our calling is to dig it out. Our calling is to strip mine out of our hearts The valuable and precious material that God has put in there. And not doing this is like having a million dollars and yet you choose to live in squalor. Not doing this is like you have a lifetime supply of bluebell ice cream and yet you choose to, I don't know, eat dirt. I mean, who wouldn't want to sit under a shade tree every single day and eat some bluebell ice cream? Come on, right? But you don't. We're not talking about ice cream. We're talking about a precious treasure that God has put in us. Hear me loud and clear, lest anyone mistake what it is I'm saying. I am saying that everything you need for spiritual growth, to fight the good fight, to grow closer to Jesus Christ is within you. But I am not saying that it is in there on its own accord. It is God who has put it there, it is God Himself that is there, and our job is to work out the great power and ability and treasure that He has put in you the moment you were justified, the moment you surrendered your life to Jesus as Savior and Lord. But if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus as Savior and Lord, then that treasure is not there. That salvation is not there. There is nothing to work out of you because nothing has been worked into you. And instead, there is a great need to surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Because before you can work out your salvation, you have to have God put into you His salvation. You cannot work out what has not been worked in. You cannot work out what has not been worked in. And so to work out our salvation is to work to the outside... What God has put inside of us. You know, when we baptize here at First Baptist Church, Comanile, we try to explain real carefully that this is not a part of your salvation. It doesn't finish your salvation. It's not a, uh, uh, it is not a, the seal of your salvation. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. When I am saved by Jesus Christ, the Bible literally says, I die to myself and he raises me in newness of life. That's why we say when we baptize, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. It's an outward expression of an inward change. Jesus Christ is now living in me as my Lord and Savior. But baptism is not to be our only outward expression of our inward change. This is not to be the only testimony of our salvation. Working out our salvation every single day of our lives is also an outward expression of of the inward change. I want to work out that I am being changed by Jesus. How do I do that? Last week we talked about sowing and reaping. When we sow to the Spirit we reap from the Spirit. And so what is it that we're reaping from the Spirit? There's all sorts of wonderful changes that the Spirit can work in us and out of us. All kinds of things that if we will sow to the Spirit, He will produce out of us. But Paul, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, gives us a pretty good little sample list of some of the things that the Holy Spirit can produce out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just a little sample there of some fruits of the Spirit. Fruits are things that grow. Fruits are something that have to be Uh, The seed has to be planted, and then they have to be tended to, and then they will grow. And so if I'm producing this, if the Spirit is reaping this out of me, then it is the Spirit who is working, and I am working out what has been put within me. But if this testimony does not exist, if nothing is being mined out, if there is no precious treasure from within that is coming out, it begs the question, has any inward change actually occurred. Because anyone can get wet in the baptistry. But only a born-again believer in Jesus Christ will begin to work out of him what God has put into him. Now this is not a word of judgment. Because I want to go back to that verse 12 real quick. Paul says, Work out your own salvation. That's a very personal, second person plural verb there. Second person plural. You know what that means, right? It's not just you. It's you all, y'all. Y'all work out your own salvation. So it's not like I'm sitting up here saying, "Yeah, you haven't produced any fruit. Yeah, you. Yeah, y'all. Y'all have not." Mm-mm. But this is a very reflective statement. I need to be looking in the mirror at myself and saying, is God working anything out of me? Am I working anything out of me? Am I working out of me that precious treasure that God has worked into me? This is to motivate us to reflect on our own lives. Now perhaps you're still hung up on this idea of working out our own salvation. And I understand because we believe, and certainly I preach, that salvation is not by works, but is a gift of grace. So when we read a verse like verse 12, we, we need to be careful not to take it out of context because it would be real careful, I mean, it would be real uh, um, tempting to read just verse 12 and say, well, there you, there you see see my spiritual growth, my sanctification, it's all on me. We've got to read verse 13. So just look at verse 13 real quick. What does Paul say in verse 13? And right after he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure." So we are working out of us what is inside of us from the beginning, and I mean from the moment that the gospel is illuminated in my mind, and we respond to faith in Jesus, but it is God that is working that in me as well. It it, it is my working out my salvation, what God has been putting in me. And as I said before, and I began this message out, I would not even utter the thought that the Lord and I are in some way partners, because I... I still very much believe that if anything good happens in me or for me or from me, it is actually a work of God in me. It is, it is God that gives me anything good. But I am very much aware, and so should we, so should you, that your submissive obedience to God and His will requires your action. And this is why Paul affirms the Philippians. He says, as you have always obeyed. And I... I love the details of that encouragement, of that affirmation. He says that they obeyed not only when he was there. What does he say? Much more now in my absence. And so we get Paul is not saying work for your salvation, but instead he is essentially saying continue to obey, continue to work out, continue to mine out that treasure that God has put in you. Do the work. Do the work. Remember, obedience doesn't mean perfection. The Philippians were sinners. They had those days where it seemed like they took two gigantic steps back. Obedience isn't about perfection. Obedience is about submission. Their obedience was a reflection that they had heard and submitted to the Word of God. In fact, that Greek word right there in verse 12 where he says, as you have always obeyed, The root of that obeyed is the same word we get acoustics from. And so obedience is all about hearing and then doing. Hearing and submitting. Their obedience was a reflection that they had heard and submitted to the Word of God. And this is what salvation comes down to. Our justification and our sanctification is our faith working in obedience with God. It is hearing and submitting to God. Romans 10.17 Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of the Lord. So how do we work out our salvation? And this brings me to my second point, with fear and trembling. Now I know these two words are not real popular in Christianity, fear and trembling, right? I mean, nobody is going on a fear and trembling speaking tour. And we must remember the many beautiful paradoxes that exist within Christianity. We're told that we do not have a spirit of fear and timidity, that we are able to approach the Lord with confidence, but at the same time, he says right here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The part of the reason is that there's a, there's a couple of different words that we translate to the English word fear. One of them is delios, which means to be, a, 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 not, to be a, not to be just fearful, but to be a coward, to have moral cowardice. It's the same kind of cowardice or fear that leads you to be a traitor. and So it has a lot to do with morality. This particular word in verse 12 is the Greek word phobos. And it is the Greek word that we get our English word phobia. And then that that Greek word for trembling is the Greek word traumas, which is where we get our word for trauma. Phobias and traumas. Now I don't think God is saying work out your salvation with phobias and traumas. It's not that we need to go seek counseling from a professional counselor about our phobias and traumas. But the fear and trembling, the phobia and trauma, is because we recognize that when we sin, when we take that two giant steps back in our relationship with the Lord, it's not just against ourselves. We're not just sinning and and taking those steps back away from ourselves, but that we are doing it against God. Fear and trembling because we recognize that we are working out our salvation all the while, verse 13, it is God who is working Solomon told us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a reference to our reverence or our need for reverence, which, again, I promised I would come back to. I would not call God my partner in my salvation because of my great reverence of who He is and my understanding of who I am and what I am. But instead, the working out of my salvation in fear and trembling is an act of reverence and submissive obedience and worship. Obedience to God is worship of God. You cannot worship God in disobedience. Oh, you can come in here and sing songs and wave your hands and have a good old time, but true worship requires submissive obedience of our lives to God. Our spiritual act of worship, Paul says in Romans 12.1, our spiritual act of worship is to lay down to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Submissive obedience is the key to working out that which God has worked in us. And this was the example of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. His life and his death were a testament of submitting to the will of the Father. In order to follow Jesus, we had to also lay down our lives. He said, you must die to yourselves every day, every day, to take up your cross and to follow him. And that was an invitation to go and die. I, every day, I must do the difficult work of saying, Okay, Lord, I lay down my life in submission to you. It's even in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. Those aren't just words in the Bible in Matthew chapter 6. But that is a confession. I don't want my will done, Lord. I want thy will done, Lord. I want it done on earth as it is in heaven. I want it done in me as it is in heaven. And this is the first of two keys to being submissively obedient. Prayer. Prayer. You know how the Bible tells us that Jesus began his days? With prayer. Over and over in the Gospels, we read about Jesus getting up in the morning, distancing himself from everyone else, and spending time in prayer. And we know that in those prayers, he was often spending time submitting his will to the will of the Father. He even, we even get a, 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 an example, a sample of that. In the night he was to be arrested, the night before his crucifixion, and he prays, Father, thy will be done, not mine. Nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. He prayed this, he, 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 he practiced this, and so prayer is key to our working out the salvation that God has put in us. We must spend time in prayer because when we spend time in prayer, when we truly spend time in prayer, we are submitting ourselves to God as God. We're submitting to Jesus as Lord. I wonder, and don't show hands, but how many of you took the 15-minute challenge to just spend 15 minutes a day in prayer? 15 minutes. I mean, we spend hours playing on Facebook, watching TV, doing all kinds of activities. And if you're already spending more than that, praise the Lord, would you add me to your prayer list? But I'm asking you, if you don't have any prayer time right now, consider spending just 15 minutes a day. And here's the other part of that challenge. I believe it's the second key to our working out our salvation, the second key to being submissively obedient to God, and it's God's Word. Remember, there's no magic spiritual pill to growing in our godliness. We must do the hard work of sanctifying, of sanctification in cooperation with God working in us. But why do I specifically mention God's Word? Because in John 17, the prayer of Christ in Gethsemane, verse 17, he's prayed specifically for his disciples to be sanctified. And this is what he prays. John 17, verse 17, he says, Father, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. And so there Jesus is, the night of his arrest, before his crucifixion, praying for his disciples, praying that they would be sanctified, that is, set apart to look more like Jesus and less like the lost world, and his prayer is, this is what sanctifies them. Sanctify them by your word, which is truth. You know, in those days, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have 66 books divided into two testaments, black leather bound with red letter edition and thumb index for, for easier searching. It is amazing to me what ability and capability and, and availability we have in 2018 they didn't have 2,000 years ago. The ability to sanctify ourselves by the Word of God in 2018, it's so much easier, so much more accessible than it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus prayed that prayer. Sanctify them by your truth, your word, his truth. 15 minutes a day in prayer, 15 minutes a day in God's word. I don't think it's too bold of a thing for me to say. that This is what Jesus wants us to do. This is what is key to our being submissively obedient to God. And what is key to our working out that beautiful, wonderful treasure that God has worked into us. Listen, I'm not trying to guilt you or trouble you about spending time in prayer or reading God's word. I, I do not believe in coercion. Coercing you into spending time in God's word or praying. But I do want to prod you and I do want to exhort you about your priorities. We have a motto here at First Baptist Church, it's loving God, loving people, serving the world. And that comes straight from Scripture, specifically the loving God. Matthew 22, verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Listen, would you believe me if I told you I love my wife, but I never wanted to talk to her, and I never wanted to listen to the things she had to say? How can we say we love the Lord our God if we never want to hear what he has to say from his holy word and we never want to talk to him? There's a lot of ways we can close out this message this morning. I I just want to invite you, first off, if you don't have that precious treasure within you, to come and submit yourself to the Lord as Lord and Savior. Submit yourself to Jesus as Lord and Savior, surrendering to him once and for all. You can't work out what hasn't been worked in. Or perhaps you know that treasure's deep within, but it's been laying dormant. Instead of enjoying a big old bowl of bluebell, you've been just eating dirt. God has put a precious treasure in you. Life would be so much sweeter walking hand in hand with the Lord Jesus Christ. You just need to take some time and ask for forgiveness. Confess it to Him and and say, Lord, I want to start walking closer with you. Listen, he's not holding on to that. You are. I firmly believe he is just simply saying, listen, confess it, and I'll forgive it, and we can move on. We can work out together. The greatest workout partner you'll ever have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you respond this morning as the Lord leads you in this time of invitation? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the attentive ears. Father, we pray that your will would be done in us. It's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.